this week on the It's a Monkey podcast. So now we're moving from the, what's happening now into the future. But it's, a, it's an interesting concept, right, uh, where you think about Internet of Things, all of the elements uh, connecting uh, and becoming a foundation of a true revolution, right? So because of um, uh, artificial intelligence, because of the virtual or uh, augmented reality, because of the bioengineering, right? When we are starting to grow our own bones, right? And, uh, and to your point, um, uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, sort of the, the futuristic fantasy uh, uh, over the next 10 years will start becoming a reality because we will become more of cyborgs than we were before. Um, where it leads us, uh, what, what makes human a uh, human versus robot, um, uh, what it means for uh, somebody to live 160 years, probably more of a philosophical versus the technological conversation. Good morning, good evening, hello, wherever you are in the world. My name is Kevin Garber. I am the CEO of Manage Flitter. I'm also the co-host of the It's a Monkey podcast. We are episode number 86 of the It's a Monkey podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, it is Wednesday, the 22nd of March. If you're watching us live on Periscope and a special hello to everyone who's watching us live on Periscope. And it is Friday, the 24th of March for anyone that is uh, listening um, on the podcast or watching us on YouTube. We are now on YouTube as well, so you can subscribe on YouTube. Just search for It's a Monkey Podcast and uh, you'll head over to the right part of the YouTube channel where you can subscribe. Um, today we have a great show coming up. I will be interviewing Maciek Krantz, who is the best-selling author of Building the Internet of Things, a, a great book about the Internet of Things, IoT. Uh, you know, it's a word you might be stumbling across every now and then. We'll find out what does that actually mean and what um, that is all about. That's coming up later on in the show. But as usual, we kick off with some tech news and um, today um, I've got my co-host with me as usual Kate Frappel and we've also got another guest in the studio Joe Pinto who's the business operations manager at Manage Flitter and she's going to be um, giving us some insight into in, into one of the news stories but let's kick it off first with Kate. Kate what's happening in the news this week in the, in the tech industry? So a Autonomous delivery robot mm -hmm. um, by Spaceship Technologies is going to be launching in Virginia. So this is in the in the US. Yes. And this isn't a drone. This is a little a little robot that wanders around on wheels, right? Yes, six wheels resembles a cooler, so mm -hmm. like something that you put your drinks in. We call those eskies in Australia. Yes, but Americans call them coolers. Coolers, yeah. So they resemble a cooler. Um, they can go within three kilometers in 15 to 30 minutes. Um, so they can take your groceries, parcels, and even food as well. Right. And yep. so they've they've made these legal or they've mandated that it's okay for these to um, be used. I saw, I saw that part of the requirement was that they had to follow all the... Um, the street signs and yep. and so it stops at traffic lights and doesn't so it's not going to cause havoc no 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 they're um they're quite light as well um and they yeah they have to abide by the law um and they have sensors that can um go around obstacles uh, -huh. uh and they also need to have like a license plate or an id similar oh, is that to a right? car yeah 
So, so slowly these robots are <laughs> taking shape and soon soon they'll be wandering around amongst us. Um, yeah, and it's not the first one. So Yelp and a food delivery service uh, in the States called Eat24. Uh, I've also trialled one, but it's nowhere near as stylish. Mm-hmm. Um, and Domino's as well tried one in New Zealand. So it could take 10 pizzas and it also has like a cooling section so you could put your drinks in there. And these were robots, not drones? Robots. Okay, interesting. So, you know, it's one thing that I think cities could really um, play their part in accelerating innovation would actually be to push forward with things like that. I mean, imagine if Sydney and the CBD, it's a relatively small area and they should be trialing these things and experimenting and encouraging some innovation and, and, and companies. There's, you know, always a lot of spin-off technologies from innovative activities. Who knows what it would land up doing? Um, they... It's always disappointing that politicians at all levels of the game are a little bit, a little bit half asleep. You know, we've got a city here, lots of people. There's technologies and technologists everywhere. Why aren't we doing this techs available? Why aren't we trialing these things in even certain precincts in certain areas? Let's let's keep things moving forward. Well, there's a lot of associated dangers with them as well. Um, some people are concerned with uh, terrorist activities, uh, the security, surveillance. Um, and even just like government monitoring, like what can you attach to these robots? You suddenly have someone following you at night on yeah. your way. To I mean, the I'd train. love to know how you can, you know, for example, you see one of these Domino's ones going around. Somebody wants a pizza. They're just going to hijack it. Because <laughs> 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 like, you can know that there's a pizza. Maybe, <laughs> maybe it can have little water pistols, and if like the wrong person comes too close with. Facial ID, it can actually just shoot the water pistols and defend <laughs> the pizzas. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, apparently um, you have like an order code that you put in in order to open it when it gets to your house. Right. But what's the stop someone just picking it up and taking it home? But you see, that, that's, why we've, that's why we've got to trial these things because all these issues surface themselves only after you're working with them, right? Yeah, but it's costly as well. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I think, you know, in things like nursing and things like that yeah, – um, could have huge applications. In Japan, I believe they've already got robots that comfort elderly people. Japan's got a massive problem with the aging population, and it's it's a big issue that they got, you know, there's a disparity in, in, in demographic sizes, and they've got robots that comfort older people, and, mm. you know, hopefully soon we'll be able to deliver medicines to them. So the future is here. Interesting. Um, thanks for that, Kate. Josephine Pinto, thank you for joining us on the podcast. You featured in one of the previous podcasts talking about the Google Pixel. How's your Google Pixel going? My Google Pixel is still going very well. Uh, Can't complain. I'm still waiting for the Note 8, but, you know, Google Pixel will do for now. Um, Tell us what's happening in the news uh, this week. Yeah, so Google Maps have released a new version uh, of uh, and added features to Google Maps. We we haven't spoken much about Google Apps on the show, and it's actually interesting you brought that up because it's it's probably one of the apps that people use the most, right? Yeah, definitely. It's Google Maps. So I think we should actually talk more about some of these little features. So tell us about this new feature that Google Apps has released. So the new feature that they have is it can detect that you've parked your car and then it'll ask you if you want to save that parking spot. So you can add a picture 
take some notes of where you've parked your car and then you can also even put a time limit on it. So if you're in a, in a spot that has a time limit on it, it will do a countdown for you and send you notifications. Now, here's an idea. What about having one of these little robots, <laughs> right, escort you to your car? Isn't wouldn't that be in like one of the big Westfields, right? Wouldn't it be fantastic that yeah. as you, that it works out who you are and, and you get an escort back to your car? You know, in, in the in the big Westfield, um, they have security there that that half of their day are escorting people back. People get lost. It's a very confusing car park here in in the, one of the big Westfield shopping centers in Sydney. Yeah, it's true, and I've even gotten lost as well. And you have to go up and down the different levels and half levels and. Yeah, it can be very confusing. So the robot idea is a actually a really good idea. It's a good idea, right? Yeah. And you could even have it sponsored by a company. So and you can oh, even have Domino's Pizza <laughs> and they throw in a slice of pizza while they're walking you. Um, so Google Maps, that's a great idea. You can um, – it, it tags it on your map. You can put in a photo. You can put in some other notes. How does it work with uh, anything that it offers special for multi-story car parks? No, there's nothing for that at the moment. It, it's literally just a marker on your map. Right. So, and I does it disappear automatically after time? Or I mean, it, it does. Uh, so the one of the complaints is that if you're going on a business trip and you're leaving your car somewhere in mm-hmm. a long-term parking spot, if you go overseas and, it, and you've got lo- your location on, it will actually just override that. So you can lose that information. Right, so they should probably put some some option if you want to save it because you don't want to clutter it up with. You probably want to keep it for a day unless it's a long term thing. Any, any mm-hmm. other? Um, you, you're a, you're an organizer. You you're a great person um, optimizing efficiency. Any other tips for Google Maps that you think would be useful to someone listening to this that that might not be well known? Yeah, definitely. So. Uh, I actually just discovered this very recently. I can't believe that I hadn't discovered it earlier. But you can actually now save, you know, your favourite places and places you want to go in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, you used to only be able to save uh, the your home and your work mm-hmm. place and that was it. Uh, and you can also star places as well. So I guess that's favourites. And some people don't know about the feature called, uh, I think it's called pinning, where you can share a pin. You can share a location with someone, right? Yeah, that's right. You can even uh, pinpoint a whole bunch of different places on a map and send that particular map to a person. So a lot of people don't actually realize this. I mean, I sent it um, to a friend the other day and... And they said, look, wow, it's amazing. He just clicked on it, took him to the Google Maps. And, you know, and, and I have never really received that. I think from once, from James, probably at your wedding, funnily <laughs> enough, where it was a tricky location and he sent me a Google Maps pin. So, but besides that, I've never actually received something. So it's a very easy way to share a location. Yeah, and they are uh, working on all that sharing functionality at the moment. Uh, so, you know, once you've got your car spot marked, you can share that now. Uh, you can, they're really making it easy to, to share that information around. Interest, uh, there used to be an app called um, Google Latitude. I think it was called Latitude. Do you ever remember yeah. where you could switch it on and, and people could follow where you are? Yeah, I vaguely remember, remember that. And it had a little bit of traction. I know, especially um, married couples, or you know, they would like to. <laughs> they for, for almost <laughs> half novelty effect, sort of see where their partners were during the day. And um, but it never, it never really took off. I wonder if it still, if it still exists. Oh, it would be interesting if it does. <laughs> oh, but yeah, while you're looking for that, I also um, discovered that with Google Maps, they. 
I don't know, they're doing some funky stuff. You know the the movie um, Kong, Skull Island, that which recently came out? No. Okay, so <laughs> Kong, Skull Island, um, they actually created a, a place on the map of, a, of an island that obviously does not exist, a fake island, and people could, and they invited people to write reviews about this island and it mm-hmm. was sort of like a, an advertisement for, for that movie, <laughs> which is really... It's different, yeah. <laughs> I'm just reading now about Google Latitude. Um, so Google shut down Google Latitude in 2013, ah. so it actually hasn't been around for a while. So, there And it's, a, it's actually interesting that an equivalent app has. I, I know there's all the privacy concerns, but there, there is a use case where pe- when people, I mean, you, you know, families have these WhatsApp groups. You can almost picture these people wanting to, Especially go say people go on holiday to Japan together. There's ten on them mm. to be able to look at a map and just see where everyone is the yeah. whole time. And it's it's That'd interesting that an app hasn't um, sort of emerged for these use cases. No, that would be very useful though, very very useful. Okay, Josephine Pinto, business operations manager, managed for Nice to have you on the show. Maybe we'll drag you in a little bit more. Um, to to help us help help us out with the podcast we're going to take a short break and after that um, we're going to be chatting to Mache Krantz who's the author of a book on internet of things and we'll be talking about IOT internet of things so stick with us and we'll be back after the short break hi this is Dave with manage flitter manage flitter is a tool that helps you work smarter and faster on twitter with manage flitter you can clean up and grow your twitter account You'll also get useful Twitter analytics, social content scheduling, and much more. Go to manageflitter.com and start your free trial today. You're back with It's a Monkey podcast. We talk about everything relating to technology, entrepreneurship, startups, um, and every now and then we like to zoom out onto bigger picture um, industry trends and um, issues. And one one aspect we haven't actually chatted about is the Internet of Things, also known as IoT. And um, I'm happy to say I, I uh, found an, an expert on the topic in Silicon Valley, Maciek Krantz, who's the author of the book Building the Internet of Things. And he's also um, the Vice President, Corporate Strategic Innovation Group at Cisco Systems. Maciek, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. Thank you so much, Kevin. Great to be here. Let's just take one step back. I think it's one of these buzzwords that a lot of people um, hear about, Internet of yep. Things, IoT. Um, it's a word that I believe that's actually been thrown around for quite a long time, I believe, since the, the mid-90s or mid-80s. Is that right? That's correct. So, yeah, I think the term was originally coined in the 90s to talk about the RFID networks. But right. uh, to be honest, I think six or seven years ago, when we were decided uh, deciding on how to call this phenomenon of um, everything being connected to everything, we just decided to adopt this term and expand its scope instead of inventing the new term. Now, RFID, of course, are those those radio trip tags um, that have had a lot of promise that they'll revolutionize retailing and things like that, which um, hasn't quite uh, quite sort of executed uh, yet, has it? Correct. But at the same time, uh, you know, when you look at uh, Internet of Things, it actually is real. And that's probably one of the differences here. RFID was sort of ahead of its time. We're starting to see some great adoptions now of uh, the third and fourth generation of RFID uh, tags and technologies. But uh, um, unlike RFID, I think with IoT, um, it is uh, 
it's been a great journey because we've seen early successes and we're sort of building on top of those. So let's take a step back, just paint a picture of a, of, of a definition, so to speak, a working definition of what IoT is. Uh, yes, and uh, it's actually a great way to start because there's a lot of different uh, misconceptions about IoT. Effectively, in, in a nutshell, IoT is about every device, everything getting connected to everything, uh, to, to each other, to the networks, to the, uh, to the internet sometimes. But um, so the devices like uh, cars and uh, robots and vending machines and buildings, uh, even trash cans are getting connected. But unlike the first wave of internet, uh, sort of the, the first 30 years of commercial internet, um, where the main role of the connected devices was to give you and I uh, the ability to communicate like we're doing now, communicating uh, with each other, getting access to the data, getting access to online processes. The main role of the Internet of Things devices is to generate the data. And then we take this data to create the business outcomes. Interesting. So give us an example, perhaps even a consumer type example where, um, where this is in play, perhaps motor cars, the new motor cars that they, they connected and probably generating a massive amount of data as you're driving. And most of it's probably not that uh, useful, but, but every now and then an actionable piece of data surfaces, right? You're absolutely right. And um, uh, so uh, before I uh, dive into the connected vehicle example, you know, one of the misconceptions about Internet of Things um, is that it is primarily happening in a consumer space, in connected home and so forth. Um, you know, I was at the Consumer Electronics Show a couple of uh, weeks ago, and uh, um, we saw these connected fridges and connecting, connected toasters and, and, and so forth. And um, while I think this feature is useful for these home appliances, um, the reality is that um, uh, sort of the, the business use cases for why uh, we should be interconnecting classes of devices in the home are just starting to emerge. Like connected, um, uh, like a, uh, let's say um, elderly care or um, uh, home security. Um, so most of the applications that we see in Internet of Things today are actually happening on the business side. And um, connected vehicle is one example that maybe is struggling sort of both worlds. But um, when you think about uh, over the next two years, pretty much every new car will be connected, and. Um, uh, on average, a, a single connected car generates um, two petabytes of data every year. Hmm. So it's, it's huge, right? And from that perspective, um, because of all the sensors, all the subsystems uh, that are uh, all generating data. So when you think about the application like preventive maintenance, um, which is quite popular for uh, um, in transportation, logistics, in mining, like in Australia, for example, in open pit mines, when you would anticipate potential failures of components in the vehicle, let's say three months in advance, so you have time to fix it before it breaks down. In this scenario, uh, the benefit is tremendous, right? Especially like in the, in the open pit mine when um, every day the hauling truck is, uh, is uh, out of commission, it, it costs the company up to $2 million. Um, but um, uh, the interesting part here is that um, it actually, in order to implement such a system, we had to develop a new architecture. So traditionally, when you think about, let's say, cloud computing, uh, the first generation of cloud computing architectures were focused on batch processing. So let's say you have 30 years of seismic data and you process that information. Mm -hmm. Or you connect a bunch of vending, vending machines to the cloud directly because you send only a few packets every couple of days saying, hey, 
please come over because I'm running out of, uh, of cans, right? In this kind of scenario, data intensive scenarios like connected vehicle, um, we actually talk about what we call a fog computing or distributed cloud architecture, where you process a lot of data in the vehicle itself and only send exceptions. Like for example, hey, an uh, element in the engine is breaking, uh, please fix it. Um, or uh, oh, here is the latest uh, insurance data or um, here is the so software update is required. Um, so you basically get only the essential alerts back to the cloud through the, uh, let's say, um, a wireless network and process the majority of data coming out of the sensors locally in the vehicle itself. Now, where I see this being hugely useful in quote-unquote preventative maintenance is the human body, right? It would be revolutionary if we could <laughs> sensor up on the inside and um, we get these exceptions and say, hey, you, if you carry on this way, you are going to have, there is no issue now, but according to all the models, you are going to have an issue if you don't start sleeping more or don't start eating more greens. Or it's, I mean, that, that would be absolutely revolutionary. You know, and I think that, uh, um, th so now we're moving from the, what's happening now into the future, but it's, a, it's an interesting concept, right? Uh, where you think about Internet of Things, uh, all of the elements uh, connecting uh, and becoming a foundation of a true revolution, right? So because of um, uh, artificial intelligence, because of the virtual or, or augmented reality, because of the bioengineering, right? When we are starting to grow our own bones, right? And, uh, and to your point, um, uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, sort of the, the futuristic fantasy uh, uh, over the next 10 years will start becoming a reality because we will become more of cyborgs than we were before. Um, where it leads us, uh, what, what makes human uh, human versus robot, um, uh, what it means for uh, somebody to live 160 years, probably more of a philosophical versus the technological conversation. That's going to be the harder, the harder aspect in a way, but it's already halfway there. I mean, a couple of years ago, I bumped into a chap um, that um, was relatively young. He was in his 40s and he um, had a congenital heart condition and he had a pacemaker mm -hmm. of sorts. And he said to me that his um, cardiologist can track exactly what's happening in his office. So I'm not quite sure what, I think it, I think it connected somehow to his phone or the mobile yep. network or it had a SIM card. I can't remember exactly, um, but it was, I mean, that's, that's an example, right? It, it absolutely is. I mean, if you look at the uh, applications, you mentioned uh, uh, sort of, uh, you know, monitoring of uh, pacemakers of devices. Um, there's increasing application, uh, use of applications, for example, for again, elderly care, when you, uh, you would monitor the vital signs um, and conditions for, in sort of elderly homes, but also in the, in the in people's homes, right? If, for example, somebody suddenly uh, falls down or if their their heart rate drops, immediately this information gets sent to the appropriate folks. Um, but you know, this is just a starting point. Uh, the beauty of uh, IoT is that um, you are um, we're seeing a fairly broad sort of adoption uh, across multiple industries. So we've talked about healthcare you see adoption in agriculture, precision farming with uh, irrigations and even managing a complete um, uh, tomato farm or, uh, or winery um, to manufacturing applications uh, with um, connecting uh, processes uh, across manufacturing floor. Like for example, Harley-Davidson uh, implemented this kind of a system and a lot, uh, as a result, they were able to reduce 
the time you and I, it takes you and I to order a custom bike at the time we actually get the bike from 18 months to two weeks, right? You see the um, adoption of IoT in mining, as I mentioned, in transportation, as we discussed, um, smart cities. Uh, I mentioned, uh, you know, garbage collection, right? It's becoming a big uh, use case in addition of parking and, and, and outdoor lighting. Um, so uh, retail as well. So I think um, uh, that's the beauty of it is IoT is multiple markets and it's actually co complex markets, but um, IoT adoption, what we've been seeing over the last couple of years have been fairly broad. I love the concept of the connected city makes so much sense. Even, even from a transportation point of view, if you just take smart cars, um, you know, the, the difficulty of humans, they're very good with maybe gray areas and ju judgments, but they're very bad at large amounts of data, but whereas computers are very good at it. So, you know, every single car in a city can know exactly where every other car is in the city and yep. optimize for it. And that can, again, revolutionize transport, not only from a congestion point of view, but from a safety point of view as well, right? You're absolutely right. And I think what the challenge with connected, uh, with smart city has been not a lack of ideas like what you mentioned and the clear benefits that you mentioned, but how do we actually make it, make it work from the business perspective, right? So, you know, Smart City has been, we've sort of had, went through the 10 year of a sort of a crossing this desert period from vision and beautiful slides to how do we actually make it work and who pays for this? Uh, and, and I'm happy to say that, um, and I believe there are some great examples in um, Australia as well. Uh, like at Cisco, for example, we work with over a hundred different cities but the key to the success was identifying the initial applications that would drive the deployment of the citywide infrastructure. So give us, give us an example of one city that's doing something interesting in this area. So, so Barcelona has been probably uh, the longest standing uh, sort of a lab for us. Um, and uh, in, in their case, yes, they've had a broad vision, uh, which was uh, let's make uh, our city smart city uh, to make it uh, more useful for uh, uh, people in terms of transportation, in terms of uh, uh, services, but also make it more friendly for businesses. Um, but they started with uh, uh, smart parking, right? And uh, the benefit is obvious for us to the consumer, but um, it worked for them from the, um, uh, from the business perspective also, because uh, by installing this uh, smart parking infrastructure, they were able to increase the utilization of the parking spots. They were able to vary pricing and thus make more money um, and also reduce the cost of uh, managing the parking infrastructure. So as a result, they sought um, by imp implementing the system, uh, which obviously is very beneficial for us consumers, but they saw 20% decrease in the cost of operating the parking infrastructure in the city and 30% increase in, uh, in revenues. So we've been looking for these types of use cases and applications where um, it makes financial sense for the city or for the um, private uh, public partnership that will allow us to start the city on the journey. And once you've done it, you can add lighting, you can add um, uh, you know, um, uh, physical security, you can get uh, smart transportation systems, you can uh, you know, get uh, into sporting events and so forth. So the sky is the limit. But it's been a tough thing to start with the first step. 
And parking is just such an obvious first step because it's actually a static resource, right? It's not actually moving. You know, there's a lot of predictability around it. I mean, if we've got apps for cars and like Uber and you, you know, it makes total sense that with a bit of thought, you could have an app when you're looking for a parking space in a certain area, it allocates you one, it takes it off the market and anyone else looking for the next 10 minutes until it's filled. I mean, it's, it's in the scheme of things, it's relatively simple. I mean, it's crazy that in some cities in Australia, I think um, I stand to be corrected, but I think in Melbourne or maybe even in parts of Sydney or, um, you, you know, they, A, you've got to drive around and hunt for a parking space. B, they still have, you have to put in coins into a meter and then you have to, when the meter runs out, you've got to run down and put more coins in. I mean, you know, the cities, you know, one of the purposes I believe of, um, you know, political leadership is to lubricate the wheels of technology and, and, and bring it down, to, you know, into cities and states and, and the countries. And it's, they, they should really be doing, you know, the, the value. It's not, just, it's not just a convenience thing. As you mentioned, it's, it's less pollution because cars are driving around less. It's less accidents because there's, you know, less cars on the road and congestion, et cetera. So the, the flow and effects are actually very tangible and important. You're absolutely right. And if you think about uh, the whole concept of connected vehicle, right? When you think about, um, uh, I, I don't know if you drive to work, but I do, right? And uh, um, so my day usually starts with, I get up, I uh, jump in a car, I get stuck in a traffic jam. Uh, the most frustrating piece is getting stuck on the red light when there's no cross traffic going through. Uh, hopefully you don't get into accident and then you spend time, you know, looking for parking, right? So that's sort of our daily routine. Uh, you know, it's fascinating. We actually calculated um, on the global basis um, that uh, we actually, if I remember correctly, as a society, we waste around 5 billion hours or equivalent of 2% of global GDP. We waste getting stuck in traffic jams, looking for parking and so forth. And when you think about a connected vehicle, actually solves a lot of these things, right? We mentioned parking, but it's also, we've been working on the systems to, for uh, vehicles to connect to vehicles, but also vehicles connecting to the infrastructure. So now the intelligent intersection can sense, okay, there is 20 cars coming in one direction, two cars coming in the opposite direction. Maybe I will let these two, uh, 20 cars go through. I will pass this information to the next intersection. You can start creating a green wave. So you can start dynamically managing the infrastructure. And for computers, this is almost trivial tasks. Exactly. But it's also interesting because when we, uh, when we get into this conversation further, you would start looking more and more into autonomous vehicles and uh, where you could argue the opposite will be happening, which is we will not need a lot of parking spots anymore because we will have a fleet of, of autonomous vehicles that will just driving us around. Right? And we can turn them all into bike lanes, right? Uh, hopefully, <laughs> exactly, or walking places, or uh, or uh, flying drones, or whatever we want to do. <laughs> Matek, a couple of other questions. The one thing that I'm sure a lot of people listening to the show would be very interested in, um, security, and I'm sure you get asked this a lot. You, everything's connected to everything, which yep. means that if someone gets in, they can do all sorts of damage, and, and, and in case of cars and even agriculture, you know, serious damage if they if if they up the fertilizer that's potentially toxic and you know they can impact the food etc how do we you know i mean is this is this baked into some of the um protocols and these platforms what's the what's the industry's take on the security side of things you you know it's it's probably the number one question i get not only from the consumers but also from the businesses right it's a big concern and um uh you know if i look at the 
the, the recent denial of service attacks, for example, they actually served as a good wake-up call for the industry. So I sort of uh, compare it to, uh, I don't know if you remember 15 years ago or so, when we introduced Wi-Fi systems. And we had similar problems, right? Sure. Uh, sort of um, non-enterprise-grade clients, uh, Wi-Fi clients being attached to MRI machines and uh, people hacking into them. It's the same thing that we're seeing now. If you think about the denial of service attacks, so basically um, uh, the hackers were taking advantage of default names and passwords on some consumer cameras in Vietnam, right? Um, we as an industry have solved this problem a long time ago. So uh, a lot of this is um, about um, the industry, the vendors working together on interoperability, best practices. Uh, when you think about, there's a Verizon study that says 70% of um, security incidents come from uh, kind of exploring known vulnerabilities, meaning things that we know are potentially broken and we know how to fix them. It's the equivalent so, of uh, if you leave your, your car door unlocked the whole time, um, the, you're going to get broken into because it's open. You, but if you lock it, it's, trouble. Exactly. exactly, it's hardly going to happen. So, uh, so uh, I, I've seen vendors uh, really starting to work together much more. I am starting to see vendors both on the consumer side and on the enterprise side investing more in IoT security. But I think it's fair to say that, um, you know, uh, my sense is IoT security is everybody's job. Yes, it's vendors, and they're getting their, their, their act together and, uh, and doing more than they used to. Uh, but it's also um, businesses. Uh, you know, like, for example, uh, even uh, five or six years ago, when I talked to car manufacturers, many of them would say, you know, the way we secure our plants is um, basically security by obscurity. I'm not connecting my plant to the outside world, which was um, very naive because then we had a, uh, a, stack, a Stuxnet malware actually happening on, the, on these um, networks, uh, uh, I think five years ago. They've discovered uh, virtual private networks connecting uh, uh, their contractors and their uh, suppliers on the, on the manufacturing floors. So now the businesses are moving to a much more comprehensive security architectures, are looking at before, how do I prevent people from hacking into my system during how quickly I discovered I got hacked and what data was hacked and after how do I deal with this problem, right? Um, but it's also us as consumers, right? If we connect the camera, let's check the for obvious things like is there a default name and password? Hopefully in a year or two, there will not be that problem anymore. But for now, we do have it. So let's check on these things. It's also us as employees, uh, you know, integrating sort of a common security uh, approaches into everything that we do. Like, for example, somebody is coming, uh, is tailgating you as, as trying to enter your data center. Okay, let's not do that. Uh, let's remember half of the cyber attacks uh, actually are initiated within the enterprises. So that's why I, I believe it's everybody's responsibility. Yes, we're making progress, uh, but um, we, everybody, whether we are I'm wearing a consumer hat, employee hat, or a business hat, or a vendor hat, we have a lot to play. There's a, there's a saying in business that most bullets are self-inflicted. And I think in the tech industry, that's um, very much, very much uh, an, an issue. Um, Maciek, blockchain. Um, now, blockchain is, is a very interesting technology. It's a distributed system of trust that yep. a, a lot of people say is going to revolutionize a lot of aspects of our world, including banking and smart contracts and things like that. How does blockchain technology, how did blockchain technologies dovetail with IoT and any real world examples that you can share with us? Yeah, I'm actually a big believer in blockchain, uh, but probably more of private blockchains than public blockchains. Um, 
And, uh, but I think we are, like with IoT, probably two or three years ago, when it was on top of the hype curve, we, we are sort of at the same stage with blockchain. When I often, in conversations, whatever question uh, is asked, blockchain is an answer. And um, <laughs> the reality is that there is, uh, there are lots of applications uh, in the IoT space from supply chain. How do we trace um, you know, the components? Uh, for example, a couple of years ago, we had uh, floods in Malaysia and then the, uh, you know, it's triggered a, um, a, a shortage of supply of hard drives, right? Because some components in Malaysia, so five, five layers into the supply chain were impacted. So we can now look at the whole supply chain holistically. We can trace, uh, I'm sure you've, uh, you've heard the examples of blood diamonds, how we can now trace the source of diamonds, but we can also trace the source of, um, of food, right? Uh, so if there is a salmonella outbreak, we can know exactly where it came from. Um, we can um, uh, trace, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, let's say um, uh, pharmaceuticals, right, and making sure that we we're getting the right pharmaceuticals and uh, from the right sources. So, so you're uh, saying with the with the blockchain, um, you can track um, details of the value chain a lot more accurately. Correct. Yeah, I mean, in general, uh, I believe blockchain is one of these transformational technologies like IoT, and it's converting from a sort of uh, uh, internet into, uh, uh, into the ability of actually uh, transact value, as you mentioned. And the um, combination of IoT and blockchain gives us the ability to have complete visibility and trust into what, where our food, our medications, our products are coming from, um, if, uh, and managing all of this uh, experiences from recalls to, um, um, uh, to uh, uh, you know, um, a source of uh, identifying the right sources of uh, where the goods are coming from and so forth. So I think a combination will be very powerful, but it's also, it's fairly early. Um, if I look at blockchain overall, of course, most of the focus has been on financial services. Uh, and that's probably another conversation of what's real, what's not there. Uh, but, uh, uh, but I would say this year we will go, we will see some of the production implementations of blockchain uh, but we will, for majority of use cases, will still be at the proof of concept level. I mean, I'm very into um, you know nutrition and food and the, the impact on health. And one of the issues is um, certification of organic food and biodynamic yep. food. Um, you know, it's the, the the industry is obviously has a certification program, but you're never quite sure the temptation I would imagine for um, unscrupulous suppliers to just claim certification is is the upside is very big and the downside of getting caught. I mean, it's very difficult for them to get caught, and that's a real world example of how the people that would like genuine certification you really do and you are happy to pay a little bit more. Um, for a high quality organic uh, organically grown product and that would be a terrific problem to solve if that can be you know guaranteed that that's that trust is there and and this is a great example uh you know um i'm sure in australia you have the same movement of sort of buying local right and that making sure mm -hmm. that um, this lettuce that you're buying actually is local right and uh so um there are lots and lots of examples um where again a combination of every device being connected everything being connected with the um, power of blockchain when you have immutability and the traceability of um, goods as well as transactions uh, actually will create some um, probably a lot of examples that we, you and i can't think of right now <laughs> and that's the that's the exciting part and interesting um, i know um, cisco have some uh, labs in 
Everly Carriage Works in Sydney, and there's actually a local farmer's market in that exact space on sa- every Saturday morning mm-hmm. in Sydney. So that's an interesting, that's an interesting connection. Uh, Machek, you are Vice President of the Corporate Strategic, Strategic Innovation Group at Cisco. Um, what does that actually mean? What does your day-to-day actually entail? Sure. So, um, uh, you know, I I, uh, I probably have one of the coolest jobs at Cisco. So, uh, I basically, my team does three things. One is we incubate new businesses, um, and we look at uh, lots of things. I mean, a couple of years ago, I was running the IoT business unit, right, which is why I wrote the book and uh, continues to be my passion. But we look at things like drones, blockchains, um, artificial intelligence, and other things. Second one is... Um, uh, we focus on co-innovating with our customers and partners, which is why we actually have an innovation center in Sydney. We have one uh, also in, in Perth, uh, where we work with um, our customers and partners. Like in Sydney, for example, the main focus is on agriculture. Um, in Perth, obviously, is on transportation and resources. Um, and, uh, uh, and we work with um, uh, research institutions. We work with... Uh, with farmers, for example, we work with uh, um, with lots of our partners, uh, in this case in Australia, but also around the globe, to develop these solutions that take advantage of IoT, of blockchain, of um, real-time analytics, um, to improve uh, the business. And the last part of the job is uh, internal innovation, making sure that if there's a, a great idea coming from, let's say, um, a salesperson in Sydney, that we can actually help him or her uh, make it happen. It's a fantastic job, really. Uh, very, I'm sure you're the envy of many people. Maciek Krantz um, is the author of Building the Internet of Things, a fantastic book if you're interested in the today and the tomorrow of the Internet of Things. It's a New York Times bestseller. It's published by Wiley. I, I got the Amazon Kindle version, which I, I like writing. So, uh, writing reading the especially my business books for some reason on kindle the other my it's it's weird they separated my books i read for pleasure i tend to enjoy the hard copy but the business ones that's intend to enjoy on kindle so it's available on kindle uh, my check's also the vice president of corporate strategic um, he's the vice president of corporate strategic the innovation group at cisco systems and we'll put all the links up on the show notes my check i really appreciate um, your time very interesting no doubt it's an exciting future ahead for us in the industry Thank you so much, Kevin. Really appreciate it. It was great uh, chat and uh, uh, look forward to uh, charting the future to- together. Absolutely. The It's a Monkey podcast is brought to you by CheckDog. Use CheckDog to easily review and monitor your website for spelling errors, broken links, and broken images, all with the push of one button. CheckDog can also automatically monitor your website and notify you of newly introduced spelling errors. Go to checkdog.com forward slash podcast to receive 50% off your first month subscription. Checkdog.com, helping the world's leading websites keep their content error-free. Okay, what's so amazing about the Internet of Things, the the volume of data that Machek spoke about, I mean, the the amount of data that... um, your car is going to generate is really quite remarkable. And I, I, I guess, as he mentioned, the real challenge of this industry is actually wrangling this data and getting interesting um, bits and pieces out of it. And, um, you know, we'll probably be able to surface all sorts of things. I remember when, when Jawbone, you remember Jawbone, the fitness tracker? Yeah. And came out and uh, they, they obviously had 
Um, jawbone, people used to sleep with the jawbone as well because it could track your sleep patterns. And jawbone had access to everyone's sleep patterns. And I remember they published some research around people's sleep patterns. And I think there was an a earthquake in San Francisco and they published sleep the sleep patterns around that. I think it was about 2, 3 in the morning. And they published the sleep patterns of how people woke up and then how they went back to sleep. And it was really, you know, it's, and, and obviously they didn't surface individuals' information. It was all on aggregates, so the privacy was all okay. But it was really fascinating to see how you can observe a population in that way. And the Internet of Things is really, you know, that's going to be one of the flow-on effects just to see this population of, of data being able to be analyzed and what it will surface out of that data. Mm. Well, I always found the, the sleep tracking a little bit creepy. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the sort of information that comes out of these uh, this data is invaluable. Um, I guess the biggest, the most interesting part for me, especially from this interview, was uh, autonomous driving. And there's a, a famous sort of theory, I guess, called the trolley problem. Uh, and it basically says, you know, if you had to choose between a group of five adults and one three-year-old, who do you choose? And I think when with humans, uh, when they face with that in a split second, they don't have time to think about that. But if you're sitting around a table and designing an algorithm... Um, you're responsible. Yeah, very, very tricky. And, and again, you know, our industry is, is saying we are not talking about these issues enough. We are not talking about the ethical, moral, legal implications of AI, machine learning, Internet of Things. We need to start talking about these issues. Yeah, I mean, do you give it the power to the individual driver to set, like make that a setting when they buy their car? Or do you give that to the manufacturer? Or is it a government thing? Yeah, I think, I mean, I personally think it should be um, a government mandated, you know, based with consultation with the industry, that there's there's an approach mm. to it. There's an approach that levels the playing field. If you leave it up to the manufacturer, you know, word will get out that manufacturer X you know, prioritizes you, and yeah. you know, it, it could get messy. I think I think government one of the government's role, and and I'm a believer in in a relative size of government. You know, um, there's there's all these debates between small government, big government, but one of the roles of government is to level the playing field, and it should level the playing field around all of this, and that's why we should debate and chat about these issues a couple of podcasts ago we chatted with Anil Dash it was a fantastic episode you go back and listen if you haven't listened to it but one of the things he mentioned is that most of the elected officials in Washington are very technologically illiterate Mm, not not even sophisticated they're illiterate Um, very concerning when this wave is is about to start about to start and going to have all sorts of uh, disruptive effects Anyway, that's um, episode 86 of the It's a Monkey podcast. Follow us on Twitter. Follow us on Facebook. Um, you can email us, podcast at itsamonkey.com. If you'd like to be interviewed, we're always looking for interesting people to interview. Or if you just want to say hi and uh, keep an eye out on Periscope. We uh, do try to keep the times approximate um, on Wednesday evening american time so um, we will try to keep on periscoping otherwise thanks for listening and we'll see you next week see you later